Hello all, and welcome to this episode of No Home for Heroes. No Home for Heroes explores history's military mysteries regarding Americans who are missing in action from our past wars. These long-forgotten MIAs are remembered here. Today's episode is from case number 0436 of the investigative case files of the Chief Rickstone and Family Charitable Foundation. Today's episode is titled, At Age 89, Feeney Was the Love of My Life. And I'm your host, Rick Stone. No Home for Heroes is a trademark production sponsored by the Chief Rickstone and Family Charitable Foundation. For more information on the Foundation, visit our website at www.chiefrickstone.com. If you're hearing this preview of No Home for Heroes on your YouTube or audio burst, we invite you to listen to the complete podcast on Apple Podcasts or any of the podcasts or streaming platforms that you prefer. Stay tuned while we tell you about the legacy left behind by one of our American heroes, a legacy that was remembered over 75 years later after his death. All of us here at the Foundation want to dedicate this episode to all of our loyal listeners in Syracuse, New York, the family home of today's subject. We hope the city has done something to honor your hometown hero in Syracuse. If not, let's start the ball rolling right now. Sometimes our foundation gets the strangest but the simplest request for assistance from the families of MIAs. But today, today's episode is really in a category of its own. Think about how you would like to be remembered when you are gone. A nice guy, perhaps. An American hero? Well, that's not a bad epitaph. Well, how about a girlfriend from 70 years ago who remembers you as the, quote, love of my life, end quote. In 2014, completely out of the blue, our foundation received a series of emails with the following message. John Feeney was posted to New Zealand in the Second World War where he met my auntie, who is now 89. She is ill in hospital and has gone back in her past telling us about the love of her life who was killed in the Battle of Tarawa. John Feeney was buried on Tarawa and is still unidentified. His body has not been returned to the USA. I have just rang my cousin who is up visiting my auntie in the hospital and she told her that you have sent a photo and my aunt is thrilled. My aunt said John was tall and looked very Irish. Do you have any other information on him? Kindest regards, Maureen. Well, Maureen, boy do we. We're going to put on our Lonely Hearts Club hat today, again, on No Home for Heroes, and tell you all the story of Private First Class John Thomas Feeney and the love he left behind when he went to war. John Thomas Feeney reported he was born in Inglewood, New Jersey. He's inexplicably listed as Donald in the 1920 census at age one and a half. John's parents, Eugene and Mary Feeney, were both born in Ireland. John's father was a, quote, stationary fireman, end quote, at the Onondaga County Courthouse in Syracuse, New York in 1940. His residence at 105 Haffenden Road in Syracuse, New York, still stands. If you live in Syracuse, 
Go by and pay your respects quietly, but don't bother the family who lives there now. They probably have no idea that they live in the same home of a past American hero. John enlisted in the United States Marine Corps Reserves in Syracuse on 15 January 1942. The term of his enlistment was for the, quote, duration of the national emergency, end quote. He was assigned the rank of private. Private Feeney listed his father, Mr. Eugene J. Feeney of Syracuse, New York, as his next of kin. He listed his residence as Syracuse, New York, and he completed all the necessary paperwork to receive $10,000 in U.S. government life insurance. Private Feeney had no tattoos, birthmarks, major scars, or previous injuries noted in his medical records, and a family reference sample, or DNA sample, was not in the Department of Defense's files as of May 2012. Private Feeney had brown eyes, a ruddy complexion, and was unmarried. His official United States Marine Corps photograph does not contain a height chart to confirm his height as 71 inches. His cap size was unknown, and he had 20-20 eyesight in both eyes. Private Feeney's last recorded dental examination was on 21 June 1943, shortly before his loss, when his chart noted six cavities, ten extractions, and two wisdom teeth present. There are major discrepancies between his actual dental form and the composite dental record made after his death and placed in his individual deceased personnel file including the noting of a porcelain crown on his upper number seven tooth. In any case, his extensive dental profile, 10 extractions, that's, that's a very large number, should have aided in the identification of any recovered remains which contained dentition, and that has not been the case. Private Feeney completed his basic training with the 8th Recruit Battalion at the Marine Corps Depot in Paris Island, South Carolina. Shortly after arriving in Paris Island, Private Feeney was sick. He was so sick, they sent him to the U.S. Navy Hospital on the post from 24 through 27 January 1942. But there is no record of what his illness or injury was. After graduation from basic training on 28 February 1942, Private Feeney was assigned to C Company, that's Charlie Company, 1st Battalion, 7th Marines at New River, North Carolina. Private Feeney's father, who he had listed as his next of kin, died suddenly in April 1942, probably while John was being transported across the country by train to San Diego, California. Private Feeney boarded a transport ship in San Diego Harbor for shipment to the South Pacific. His ship landed Private Feeney at Pago Pago, Tutia, American Samoa. Private Feeney was promoted to Private First Class on 19 June 1942. Private First Class Feeney and his company remained in American Samoa until they boarded a ship in Pago Pago Harbor in September 1942. And on 18 September, the 7th Marines, now assigned to the 1st Marine Division, landed in the Solomon Islands on Guadalcanal. For four long months, the regiment relentlessly attacked the Japanese defenders and repulsed bonsai charges and suicide attacks. Colonel, Colonel Armour L. Sims led the 7th Marines during the entire Guadalcanal campaign, and his men annihilated over 6,000 Japanese in 42 separate engagements. Private First Class Feeney survived the campaign unwounded, 
but became sick with an unrecorded illness, which was probably malaria, and he was evacuated for treatment. After receiving treatment for his illness, Private First Class Feeney was transported to Wellington, New Zealand. Feeney was transferred to D Company, Delta Company, sometimes called Dog Company, 1st Battalion, 8th Marines, on 10 February 1943. Private First Class Feeney's new unit had also participated in the Guadalcanal Campaign and been withdrawn to New Zealand to begin a period of rest, refit, and training in preparation for the invasion of Tarawa. Well, as often happens, while in New Zealand, Private First Class Feeney met a local girl. The same local girl who, when she was 89 years old in 2014, later described Private First Class Feeney as the love of her life. On 22 March 1943, Private First Class Feeney failed to return from a leave for a period of about eight hours. He was about eight hours overdue. And he was charged with being AOL, which means absent off leave. <laughs> well, we can't help but wonder if he was with the girl who thought him the love of her life and just kind of forgot the passage of time. Well, that happens. Whatever the case, a summary courts martial was very lenient on Private First Class Feeney. They didn't reduce him in rank, and they didn't place him in confinement. They sentenced him to forfeit $25 of his monthly pay for a period of three months. Private First Class Feeney's unit, that's D Company, 1st Battalion, 8th Marines, was designated to land on Red Beach 2 during the invasion of Tarawa. His battalion was transported from their training bases in Tarawa, I mean in New Zealand, to Tarawa on board the USS Sheridan. Feeney's company was loaded into Higgins' boat LCVP landing craft from the USS Sheridan at about well, 13.30 hours. That's about 1.30 in the afternoon on the first day of the battle, 20 November 1943. And as we've talked about before, a series of incredible communication failures caused the entire battalion to be forced to spend all day and all night floating outside the reef off Tarawa without being ordered to land. They were no doubt nauseous from seasickness and exhaust fumes, dehydrated, and just generally miserable from their long ordeal in the small open craft. Shortly after sunrise, at about 05.30 hours on the second day, that's 21 November 1943, Private First Class Feeney's unit was given orders to land on Red Beach 2 behind A Company, B Company, and C Company of the 1st Battalion, 8th Marines. In four waves of landing craft vehicle personnel, known as LCVPs, each company struck the reef hundreds of yards from the beach beginning at about, well, 06.15 hours. It was barely light. A and B companies were heavily mauled by the Japanese defenders with a hail of fire from artillery and machine guns. While C Company was attempting to land under the same vicious fire, Marine commanders called in naval gunfire from offshore ships and air attacks in an attempt to suppress the Japanese resistance. By the time Private First Class Feeney's unit, that's D Company, began to land on the far western end of Red Beach 2, near its boundary with Red Beach 1, the naval shelling and the bombing began to take their toll on the Japanese defenders. 
The front ramp of each LCVP was lowered to allow the Marines to wade the remaining distance to the beach, hundreds of yards. When the boat ramp was lowered, the Marines stepped off into warm water was, that was between waist and shoulder deep. Being almost six feet tall, this was an advantage to Private First Class Feeney. Soon, many began collapsing as a result of being hit by heavy machine gun fire. Others stepped into deep shell holes beneath the water and were drowned by the weight of the heavy equipment that they were carrying. As the survivors struggled to wade 500 yards, that's over a quarter of a mile onto shore, they were raked by a vicious fire from the partially sunken hulk of a Japanese freighter on their flank, which was known as the Sadu Maru, upon which the Japanese had stationed numerous machine guns. The landing attempt resulted in heavy casualties, and it was vividly described in an excerpt from this after-action report. Quote, the first wave landed on the edge of the reef at about 0615, and when the ramps went down, it received very heavy fire. I believe we received 90% of our casualties in the water. Our total casualties were, I think, 328, including 90 missing. We lost about 230 men in the water. About 1,200 hours, we had just about all of our troops ashore, numbering about 630, but they were greatly disorganized. We encountered no heavy resistance throughout the operation except in certain emplacements, end quote. Well, upon landing, Private First Class Feeney's unit attempted to attack westward and inland, but despite heavy fighting all day, they made very little progress against the Japanese fortified emplacements. Private First Class Feeney's unit dug in at nightfall, expecting a counterattack from the Japanese that never materialized. However, two out of the eight officers in D Company were wounded. On the next day, 22 November 1943, Private First Class Feeney's company continued their attack inland. It is likely that Private First Class Feeney was lost during this action. He was originally listed on his United States Marine Corps casualty card as killed in action, or KIA, on 22 November 1943. His casualty card does not list a cause of death or a burial location. However, the card does list a burial date of 22 November 1943. This means that Private First Class Feeney was likely buried the same day he was killed. The chaplain's logbook, the Graves Registration Unit report, and the island commander and his report of June 1944 all list Private First Class Feeney as, quote, buried at an unknown location, end quote. So, where is Private First Class John Thomas Feeney, or the love of my life to an 89-year-old girlfriend in New Zealand? The circumstances of Private First Class Feeney's death are officially unknown. The date of his loss is noted in all of his official records as the third day of the battle, 22 November. This date confirms that he successfully landed with his company on Red Beach 2 on the day before, 21 November, as the historical records indicate. The description of his wounds and a burial date on some of his records indicates that someone found and identified his body after his death or burial on Terrible. Private First Class Feeney's official records note burial location unknown. 
Since Private First Class Feeney was apparently not killed until the third day of the battle, he was surely not lost in the lagoon and was not likely washed out to sea. Based on all the available evidence, including biometric profiling and our subsequent foundation research using our Random Incident Statistical Correlation System, Private First Class Feeney is not a most likely match to any individual recovered on Tarawa who previously buried in an unknown grave in the Punchbowl Cemetery with a marker over their grave that states simply unknown. Private First Class Feeney's distinctive dental profile, remember those 10 extractions, excludes him as a candidate to any Tarawa unknown who has dentition for comparison. Six of the unknowns who were recovered from the punch bowl are considered a lower-grade possible match to Private First Class Feeney. These unknowns lack sufficient cranial and or dental features to be compared to the biometric dental profile of Private First Class Feeney. All of the unknowns who are possible matches meet other basic biometric qualities in the risk system and cannot be totally eliminated as being Private First Class Feeney at this time. There is a possibility that Private First Class Feeney could be one of the current 64 sets of remains that have been recovered on Tarawa since 1963, which await examination and identification by the Defense POW-MIA Accounting Agency. The backlog of recovered sets of remains awaiting identification by the Defense POW-MIA Accounting Agency is estimated to exceed 1,100 American servicemen and women who are stored in cardboard boxes on shelves in the DPAA laboratory storage room. The average time for identification after remains are received in the laboratory was reported by an internal analysis to be 11 years. In the final analysis, the preponderance of the evidence indicates that Private First Class Feeney was killed after he waded to shore on the morning of 21 November 1943 and during his company's attack inland on the next day, 22 November 1943. It is likely that Private First Class Feeney was identified after his death and was buried somewhere on Tarawa at an unrecorded location. And a final insult to his memory, the American Battlefield Monument Commission misspelled Private First Class Feeney's last name on the memorial to the missing in the Punchbowl Cemetery in Honolulu, Hawaii. You know, there's one final note we want to mention regarding Private First Class Feeney's burial location. Of all the original 15 MIAs from D Company, 1st Battalion, 8th Marines, only one has been recovered and identified since the American Graves Registration Service left Tarawa in 1947. The post-1947 identified casualty from D Company was an unknown who had been originally interred in Cemetery 26 on Tarawa and later buried in the Punchbowl Cemetery. Our Foundation's investigators have noted that it was the practice of individual units on Tarawa to search the battlefield after the action and attempt to gather their own dead together for burial. Multiple unrecorded individual and group burial locations have been found on Tarawa in recent years. 
And while there's no historical record for this occurring with Private First Class Feeney's unit, the possibility exists that he may still lie on Tarawa to this day in an undiscovered burial site. At the present time, the location of John Thomas Feeney remains one of history's military mysteries. We are convinced that someday he will be found and he will be identified, and the name on his actual tombstone will be correctly spelled this time, and maybe, just maybe, the epitaph inscribed below his name will say, The Love of My Life. Thank you for listening to this episode of No Home for Heroes. <laughs> I think as we get older, we all wonder how we will be remembered. Perhaps today's episode has given you all pause to think about the legacy you will leave behind. Perhaps. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode, and we invite you to check out our other episodes. Please subscribe for free to Apple Podcasts or whichever platform you like to listen to podcasts so that you will always be notified when one of our new episodes is available for you. We will post a new episode of History's Military Mysteries Missing in Action every Saturday just for you. Episodes of No Home for Heroes are produced from the actual investigative files of the Chief Rickstone and Family Charitable Foundation, dedicated to providing information to the families of missing American servicemen and missing American service women. As always, we greatly appreciate your comment. And a special link is available for you to contact us on our website at www.cheaprickstone.com. You sure don't want to miss our next episode on No Home for Heroes. We'll have another true story about one of our missing American heroes. Until next time, be careful, be safe, and wishing you fair winds and following seas. I'm your host, Rick Stone, reminding you that Poor is the nation that has no heroes, but shameful is the nation that, having heroes, forgets them. <laughs>